We're in a brand new series starting today called Love Jesus. So as we get started, why don't you open your Bibles to John 21 or fire up your Bible app, or it'll also be on the screen. And let's read from John 21 as we get started today. John 21 says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel and Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them the one who had been reclining at table close to him, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I love that passage. We'll crack into it here in a minute as we kick off this new series called Love Jesus. I remember as a kid, and I'm, I'm sure some of you remember doing this too, 
was a young guy, and uh, every now and then I'd have a young lady catch my affection. I'd wonder if she loved me. And so, uh, you know, you find a flower. Isn't this so weird that we actually think this actually means anything? But um, you grab a flower, find a petal, and she loves me. She loves me not. Like the flower actually has the power to tell you what's going on in someone else's heart, right? She loves me. She loves me not. I remember doing that. And it seems silly now looking back on it, but in the moment, you're like, you're really captivated. You know, you play these little games trying to figure out how to discern uh, someone's love, you know, toward you. And here's the thing. If, if we were to actually play this game with the Lord, if we were to play this game with God, metaphorically, it would always land on He loves me. It would always land on he loves me. That'd be the last pillar every time. He loves me. And so we are uh, gathered today watching online and here in this room because we believe that God loves us. But we forget just how much he loves us. And there's times when we, if we're going to be honest and confess, don't love him back the way we could and should. And so as we, as we crack into this, even starting uh, t today, and I'm, let me just explain uh, what's going to happen over the next several weeks. Uh, I've given our primary five teaching pastors one of the Sundays coming up over the next month. So I, I'm starting uh, this morning, and then we're going to have uh, Pastor Rick, Pastor Joe, Pastor Josh, Pastor Dale, all take a Sunday. And we've all selected a passage that has helped us personally learn how to love God more. And we're just going to preach from that, teach from that, and testify from that. And so this passage, John 21, is, is one for me. And, and as we're going to talk about loving God, I want to clarify this word love for a minute. Because uh, love is one of the most overused and uh, really misapplied words out there. And we mean different things. And so I'm just, for the sake of simplicity, breaking it down into two types of love. There's this kind of love of fondness. Hey, I, I, I like this thing. It's pleasing to me. It's meaningful to me. Uh, it's usually a self-centered type of a love. It's usually about self-gratification. It does something for us. And it's not necessarily bad. It's just the nature of this kind of love. It's a fondness. I love chocolate. I love the weather. I love, you know, th th those kinds of things. When we use the word love, and we don't mean it the same way when we say, I love my spouse. But then there's this love of devotion. This love of devotion is directed toward that thing or that person who really commands the presence of our heart. All of our affection and our adoration and our heart service and our devotion and our dedication and loyalty go toward that person. And it's really an other-centered love. It's that I want to do whatever it takes to, to give love to this thing or to this person. That, that's why uh, worship involves a love of devotion. It's a, it's a different kind of love. And when you study the Bible, that kind of love is translated in the Bible as the word agape. And so what we want to really rally our hearts around today is this kind of agape love that God has revealed to us through Jesus Christ and how we can learn to increase, grow in our agape, our devoted love, back to God. And I know for me, the moments of greatest peace, the moments of greatest contentment, the moments of greatest purpose, passion, and security in my life have always been experienced when I come back to realizing just how much God loves me and pursues me, especially when I reflect on the most supreme demonstration of his love, that he would come in person, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, 
God incarnate to die on the cross and to conquer the grave and to conquer death and sin on my behalf so that I can have forgiveness and eternity and new life and all those other things that come with it. Like when I think about God's love for me and pursuit of me and what he's done through Christ, I'm smitten by his love. And what it does, it draws me into a place where I want to love and pursue him back. And even though there's been difficult times in my life, even though there's been painful situations and difficult circumstances in life, one thing's true, God's love has remained constant. God's love is unchanging. God's love is unrelenting. And his love pursues us. Because of that, I just want to love and pursue God more in my life. Because Jesus loves me, and because Jesus pursues me, I can love and pursue him back. Your greatest moments of security, your greatest moments of contentment, your greatest moments of peace and, and um, comfort and security and purpose, all are going to revolve around just how much you understand God's love for you. Because when you drift from understanding how deep and wide and great and unrelenting God's love is for you, you'll start to misunderstand his love and you'll drift from his love and you won't pursue his love. And even though there's painful situations, even though there's difficult circumstances, God's love for you is constant and it's unyielding and he pursues you with his love. And because Jesus loves you and because Jesus pursues you, you can love and pursue Jesus back. And that's really what I see when I look at John 21 that we just heard and read. I love this passage for so many reasons because I really can relate to Peter. This Apostle Peter, I think so many of us can relate to Peter. He's just, he's just a guy like us. He's impulsive. He's got great intentions. Um, he's, he's got victory in his life. He's faithful to the Lord. Not perfect, but faithful. But we see his mistakes, and we can relate to him. And we can relate to a lot of his moments. And so when we look at this snapshot in John 21, what we see is how God, in his love for Peter, pursues him. And we see how when Peter gets that, how he turns around and loves and pursues Jesus back. And so what I basically want to do is just take this remainder of our time, and I first just want to look at how we see Jesus love and pursue Peter specifically. Even though there's others in the picture, the camera zooms in on Peter here. And so let's just look at how God's amazing love and pursuit is demonstrated with what he does with Peter. First, we see this. Jesus demonstrates his love and pursuit by initiating contact. He came to them. These guys were in a boat fishing. Jesus came to them. He wasn't sitting around on a rock waiting somewhere for them to come to him. He, he initiated the contact. Uh, let's look at verse 1 again in John 21. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Well, what does this after this mean? After what? Well, this is after all the, the major events over the previous weeks. The arrest of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the miraculous appearings of Jesus. These guys have already seen the risen Jesus two times. This is the third time that they see him. And so after all these things, instead of staying in Jerusalem, they go back to the area they're familiar with. They go to Galilee. And they're kind of in limbo. They're, they're waiting around. So they're hanging around by the Sea of Tiberias. Now the Sea of Tiberias is also the Sea of Galilee. It's the same place. It's got a couple names uh, because there's a city called Tiberias on the Sea of Galilee. It's occasionally referred to as the Sea of Tiberias, but really it's the Sea of Galilee. 
And this is a real place. I mean, this is a picture of a real Sea of Galilee, a real lake. This is a real place with real people. And some of you are going to get to see this place with your own eyes in eight months. Because when CVC takes its first trip to Israel in eight months, some of you are going to be there around where this very moment happened. So it's, it's not too late to sign up. You still can. But this is a real place. This is a real moment. And we see these seven disciples that are listed here. And all the dust is settling from the arrest and the death and the resurrection and the ascension. And they go back, and as they're in limbo, they're like, what are we going to do? Man, we're hungry. We don't have food. We don't know what's going on. And so Peter steps up and says, I'm going fishing. And the guys are like, I'm in. I'm going too. Now, what he's not saying is, I just want to take a little fishing trip today. That's not what he's saying. When you study the grammar there in the original language, he's saying, I'm going back to fishing. That's significantly different. I mean, Jesus showed up three years before called this man out of his boat and says, you're done fishing for fish. I'm going to have you fish for men, for the souls of men. And he spent three years walking with Jesus. Think of all, think of all that Peter's seen and experienced in the last three years of his life. And his head's got to be spinning right now. And as he's sitting there by the water, trying to figure things out, he's like, you know what? I'm going back to fishing. Forget this. I don't know what's next. It feels like game over, so I'm going to go back to fishing. And the other guy's are going, okay, I guess I'll go too. And so they're out in this boat going back to fishing. And then Jesus shows up. Jesus initiated contact. Isn't that the way it is with God's love? He started this relationship. It is God who first loved us. We don't, when we wake up one day and go, I really think about God. I think I want to love God. That didn't come from you first. We're responding to something that God already initiated. I love how we see the Apostle John speak to this in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 4, we see this in verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You skip down to verse 14, it says, we love because he first Love us. When you're talking about loving Jesus, we have to come back to this understanding that there's a deep, deep connection between being loved and loving. And until we realize that God has initiated the love relationship, that God stands on the shore and calls to us in our boats of life, we don't realize that he began this thing. He initiated contact. Why? Because he loves us and he pursues us. And when you start to realize that God initiated the love relationship with you, it increases your love for him. And it will increase your pursuit of him. I am going to assume, because all of you are sitting here or watching online, that you want more of God in your life somehow. Wherever you're at in your relationship with God, you can use more. Would anyone here agree that they would actually like to love Jesus a little bit more in their life? Anyone want to agree with that? Absolutely. So here's the thing. If we love Jesus less than we would like to, that means we probably love some other things more than we should. Because if we love Jesus less, then what do we love more than Jesus? We come back to this understanding, but if God initiated the love relationship, there's nothing else that's done that in our life, we come back to understanding God made the first contact. And that draws us in. Second thing we see here is Jesus demonstrates his love and pursuit by providing for needs. Man, these guys are hungry. They have no income. They've got needs. That's probably what got them in the boat in the first place. And so they're out in the boat, and they're fishing. And they're not exactly sinning by going back to fishing, but they're not living out what Christ has called them to. 
So they're out there with needs. And Jesus meets the needs, doesn't he? Look, look again at verses 5 and 6. Jesus is on the shore. And he calls to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the great quantity of fish. Man, he really got their attention as they were out there fishing in the boat. And here's what happened, is Jesus didn't just bless them with their need, he blessed them with beyond their need, right? I mean, this, this is a crazy moment, because they're out there, they're about 100 yards off, the passage says, fishing from the shore, and just like any time, I don't know about you, but like, you know, a few months ago, I was walking down a dock, I saw a dude fishing, what's my first question? Did you catch anything? Right? Did you catch anything? And so here's, here's this guy on the shore shouting out, hey, did you catch anything? No, we haven't caught anything. Try your net on the other side. Well, why not? They did it, and they caught the fish, and their needs were provided for. Jesus provided for these. Why did he provide for them? He didn't scold them. He didn't walk on the water out there and go, what are you guys doing? Fishing in the boat. This is not what I, this is not what I told you to do. He, he miraculously provided for them. Why? Out of his love and pursuit. Hasn't God miraculously provided for us? I want you to think about how God's provided our needs. Like, all we need is food, shelter, and clothing. That's it. One outfit that you wash a lot. Something to keep the rain off your head or whatever. And food and water. That's all we need. Look at our lives. Our lives are a demonstration of a miraculous catch. We have way beyond what we need. And we're the same people that will walk up to our pantries and walk up to our refrigerators and open them and look at all the food and go, there's just nothing to eat today. <laughs> and we're the same people that open up our closets and our drawers full of clothes and go, man, I just don't have anything to wear. And we sit in our homes with our TVs and our DDRs and our dishes and we've got all our devices and stuff and go, man, I just don't know what to do. There's nothing to do. If we were to take a five-minute inventory, when you leave today and go home and walk through your house and take a five-minute inventory and look at all that we have, we don't just have food. We have lots of it and a ton of variety. No, we just don't have clothes. We have different sizes and different seasons and different shapes and things and everything, you know, all that kind of stuff. We've got all the little shiny trinkets and gizmos and all that kind of stuff. Has not God provided for us an abundance beyond Why? He loves you, and he pursues you. And you and I just need to go home and walk around our house and just say thank you, God, for like 10 minutes straight through every room of our house. Why? Because he loves us and pursues us. How, how can we not do that and go, God loves me, and God pursues me, and because of that, why am I not loving him more? Why isn't he my number one adoration? Why am I not pursuing him in my life like I could and should? When it comes back to realizing what he's done for us first, he provides for us miraculously. Thirdly, we see Jesus demonstrates his love and pursuit by offering fellowship. We don't just have physical needs, right? We've got emotional needs. We've got relational needs. God designed us to be in community. That's why we're always saying get in life groups and be with other people. We, we long and crave for relational connectivity. But our supreme relational need is with God himself. And our sin has blocked that relationship, and he's removed the barrier of that sin through the cross and through the resurrection. And so now we can have this relationship 
with Jesus. And I love this moment because they're out there in the lake. They catch the fish, abundant provision. They come to the shore. And I, this, is, this is where it just gets really fun. Jesus is already there with a fire. And he's already got fish cooking. He's obviously got bread with them. Like he's already there ready to eat with the guys. And you know what he says? He says, come guys, sit down. Eat breakfast with me. He's inviting them into fellowship. Sit down. Let's visit. Let's talk. Why would he do that? Why would he take the time and effort to set everything up, invite them in, and just hang out with them and fellowship with them? Because he loves them, and he's pursuing them. It must have been an amazing breakfast. You know, I don't know about you. I, I, love, I love making breakfast. Some of you dudes in the room, you're just like me. You're the breakfast guy, you know? Breakfast for lunch, breakfast for dinner. <laughs> Mama's gone, I'm making breakfast. You know? I love making breakfast. But one of our traditions is on a Saturday morning, I love to get up and I love to just cook breakfast for my family. Love to have that slow start to Saturday, cook breakfast for my family, and boy, can I do breakfast. I don't care if the headlines tell me it causes cancer. I'm going to put some bacon. I'm going to put some <laughs> eggs. I'm going to put some toast. Oh, you want to scramble? I'll make a wicked scramble. You know what? Let's do some pancakes today. No, let's do some waffles. You want crepes? We got crepes. Like, I love doing that. What kind of toppings you want on your pancakes? Let's do this. You got chocolate chips. You got berries. You got agave. You got maple syrup. A little whipped cream, cinnamon sugar. Let's get, slice up some bananas. Like, let's get some pecans on the table. Like, I love to lay out the spread of breakfast for my family. Why? So I just love them. I just love them. It's one of the ways I can just express my love and just interact with them. And then we all sit down at the table and eat together. You know what they call that? It's called fellowship. You know why so many families are jacked up today? They don't know how to have fellowship. How many times do families sit down and have a meal together? And even if they do sit down and have a meal together, how many times are their faces buried in a little screen? And you want us to improve our families? Sit down together every now and then. And when you do, go put a box on the counter and dump every little device in there and lock it up for the next 30 minutes. It won't kill you. Like, talk to each other. That, that's fellowship. And when you fellowship, you connect. You see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is connecting with the guys. And he invites fellowship. Guys, Jesus invites you into fellowship. Jesus lays out a spread. He serves you up. He says, sit down. Let's have a relationship. Isn't it sad? All of us know people stuck in religion. They have no idea what it's like to sit down and have fellowship with God. They're stuck in cold, ritual, routine. And there's no connectivity. It's the equivalent of sitting down at breakfast with Jesus and you're too busy scrolling your Facebook to even see he's there. He invites fellowship. He invites this connectivity. Come and have breakfast. That's what the Lord said. He's not distant. He invites us in close. Also, we see Jesus demonstrate his love and pursuit by bringing restoration. This is where it gets really, really good. This had to be one of the most awkward breakfasts. They're all sitting around, probably chatting up a little bit, whatever, and it's got to fall silent at some point. And they're all sitting there going, <laughs> no one, everyone knows it's Jesus, but no one's saying anything. Dude, that's Jesus. I know. <laughs> did you see him break the bread? Yes, I know he broke the bread like he did in the upper room before. I know, of course I know it's Jesus. Why should you say something? I'm not saying something. You say something. I'm not saying something. Give me some fish. 
Just an awkward moment. They're sitting there. And then Jesus breaks the silence. And guess what he breaks the silence with? A question to one guy. And he looks over Simon Peter. In verse 15, what does he say? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What's with that question? You got to know the whole story, right? See, Peter has unfinished business in his heart. And the Lord knows he has unfinished business and he needs to restore him. Some of you come here today, you're watching online right now, you've got unfinished business in your heart with God. He wants to restore you. He wants you to walk in forgiveness. Let's, let's just take a quick review of Peter's life, right? Peter called out of the boat, followed Jesus. He's the bold one. He's the impetuous one. He's the LeBron James of the group. He's the give the ball to me. I want to make the play. I want to lead the team guy. And so we see in Matthew 26, right before Jesus is arrested, he tells all the disciples, they're going to get me and all of you are going to abandon me. You're all taken off. Bold, confident, impetuous Peter, what does he say? Matthew 26, verse 33, Peter answered him, though they, this is key, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And the disciples said the same. What do we see happen later on that evening? Peter denied Jesus three times. So when you look at this question, I want you to look at how thorough, I want you to look at how God covers the details and how Jesus restores Peter. The question is this, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Because when you go back to Matthew 26 in that moment, when Jesus says, you're all going to abandon me, and Peter says, I would never do it. Even if they fall away, I won't. You know what he's saying? I love you more than these guys do. And you can count on me. Jesus is taking him right back to this moment, isn't he? Do you love me? Do you really love me more than these guys do, like you said you did? Peter says, yes, I love you. But look, look what else the Lord does. Look at all the other details that we see here and how Jesus restores him. He takes him back to that original question. He restores the question with the answer to the question. Peter denied Jesus in the presence of other people. Now he's at a breakfast in the presence of other people, and Jesus has given him a chance to affirm his love for him in the presence of other people. Peter denied Jesus in front of a fire when you look at the Luke account. Jesus has given him a chance to affirm his love for him in front of a fire. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Jesus asked him how many times if he loves him? Three times. Do you see how Jesus is covering the details? And if he does that for Peter, he'll do that for you. He's offering restoration. Look, Jesus took my broken heart and he put it back together. Jesus took the things that were broken in my life and he either made them new or remade them back and I had either relationships restored or new relationships given. And God took my broken heart and filled it up. He restored me. This room, there's people watching online. God's restored you, and he's restoring you. That's what he does. Why? Because he loves you, and he pursues you. So how did Peter respond to all this? We see clearly the love and pursuit of God for Peter. We see the love and pursuit of God for you. 
And for me, what can we learn with our brother Peter here, how to respond? Well, first we see Peter demonstrate his love and pursuit by responding to Jesus. I love the moment when he's in the boat out there fishing. There's some guy on the shore. You catch any fish? Yeah, 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 catch any. We haven't caught any fish. Throw the net, fine, sure, throw the net. And when they pull the net in, John in the boat has an aha moment. I'm sure all the other guys did too. This is a deja vu. This is, this is like the guy who takes his wife back to the place where he proposed to her. Jesus is taking these guys back to what he did with them three years ago by providing miraculous catch of fish. And when all those fish are in the net, John looks, he looks at the guy in the shore, and he goes, it's the Lord. And Peter goes, what, really? Oh, okay, help me pull the fish in. He's like, oh, that's interesting. Ooh, I don't know what to do with that. Are you sure? Maybe he just looks like him. Uh-uh. See, Peter loved Jesus. He just stopped pursuing him. But now he's ready to pursue again. And you love this moment. He's down in the skivvies, working out in the sun, on the lake. He puts a garment on so he's presentable, jumps in the water, and swims to Jesus. The boat's 100 yards off. The world record for a 100-yard swim right now is about 45 seconds. And that's by a guy with a swim cap, goggles, shaved down, and with a swimsuit on, sort of, okay? <laughs> Peter's fully clothed, swimming 100 yards. That was no little feat. Like he had to go after it. He had to come out of the water breathing heavy. And say, Why? What just fueled him? He loved Jesus. He was driven by his pursuit of Jesus in that moment. He responded, and he kept responding. Jesus said, go get the fish. Peter got the fish. When Jesus said, sit down and have breakfast, Peter sat down and had breakfast. When Jesus asked him questions, he answered the questions. Peter's love for Jesus and desire to pursue him are seen in how he responded to Jesus. How are you responding to Jesus when he calls out to you? Because you know that moment when that addiction calls or that situation calls and Jesus is saying, don't do it. Do you respond? When, when it's been a rough week, when, when, when in a moment of anxiety is, is trying to grip your heart, you're going, I know I should pray right now. I know I just need to press pause on everything and hit my knees, maybe even bury my face in my chair and just cry out to God for help. How do you respond in those moments? When God is impressing things on your heart and he's calling to you from the shore while you're in a, some sort of boat, how do you respond? Because as our love for Jesus grows, our ability to pursue him grows and we'll respond quicker and more thoroughly just like this. We need to get a jump out of the boat into the water and swim to Jesus kind of attitude every day, don't we? I need more of that. We need more of that. We see how he responded. Second, Peter demonstrates his love and pursuit by spending time with Jesus. By spending time with Jesus. When Jesus invited Peter and the other guys to spend time with him, he did. Think of what would have happened if Peter would have not have sat down and had breakfast. It was an invitation, not obligation. He could have said, no, I'm going to go back to fishing. Jesus probably would have let him go. He still would have had unfinished business in his heart. Maybe he said, ah, I'm not comfortable. I'm going to go take a walk. Jesus probably would have let him go. He still had unfinished business in his heart. But Peter spent time with Jesus. And the Peter that sat down to that awkward breakfast was not the same Peter after that breakfast. His love and his pursuit of Jesus increased because he spent time with Jesus. He spent time with the Lord. Honest, basic, cut to the chase truth. 
When I don't spend time with Jesus, my love for him fades. And when I spend time with Jesus, my love for him grows. Is that not the truth? When you spend time with Jesus in his word, in prayer, just thinking about him, just taking 10 minutes of your day and turning off the radio in your car and just 10 minutes of thanking Jesus for everything he's done in your life, just spending time with Jesus, by opening up his word and looking at what he wants to tell you, and by just praying multiple times a day, all throughout the day. Some of you are like, man, I don't have time to sit down and pray for 30 minutes. Hey, some of us do that, but guess what? If you sit down and pray six times a day at five minutes apiece, you got 30 minutes. If we, if we just spend time with Jesus, our love for him will grow. And if we don't spend time with him, our love for him will fade. We spend time with the ones we love. And Peter responded by spending time with Jesus. We can do the same. As far as God's word, there's a, there's a great book. It's a recent book. It's called Loving Jesus More. It's by an author, a pastor named Phil Riken. Uh, we have some of these out in the Info Center. If you are interested in them, you can download it online. As far as time with Jesus and his word, I love what he says. He says, we are reading the Bible for content and maybe for application, but not for relationship. If we want to love Jesus with all we have, we should read his word the way a lover would as a message from our beloved. When we open our Bibles, we should pray, Lord Jesus, I'm not just here for these words, I'm here for you and for the love message you want to send from your heart to mine. God has promised to meet us in his word, which makes Bible reading a place to rendezvous with our Savior. Think of your time with Christ as a rendezvous with your lover. Spend a time with Jesus. Peter spent time, we need to spend time. We also see here that Peter demonstrates his love and pursuit by verbalizing his love for Jesus. And Jesus got in his face lovingly and said, do you love me? To which Peter said, yes, I love you. Look, people should look at our lives and know that we love Jesus, but they should hear it from our mouth. There's something about us vocalizing with boldness and with no shame that we love Jesus. It's a piercing question. It's a piercing question to look at somebody. Jeff, do you love Jesus? Brandon, do you love Jesus? Can you imagine locking eyes with Jesus and he three times looks at you and says, Rebecca, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And for us to say, yes, I love you. I just want to talk to you dudes for a second because some of you are going like, time out. Reading a book like a rendezvous with a lover, loving Jesus series, really? Too touchy-feely, too warm fuzzy. I don't know, I'm out. You know what that says about us as men? We don't understand how powerful love is. God the Father initiated love. You know love's the most powerful weapon that we can command as men? Because love disarms an enemy. Love confuses an enemy. Love's the most important commitment. It rallies loyalty unlike anything else. The reason some of our families are falling apart is because men don't know how to say, I love you. They don't know how to tell their wife and kids and their friends and their coworkers, I love Jesus. They don't know how to look across at their wife, even if they failed and messed up, and just say, I love you. And there's kids and grandkids that never get locked eyes on by a loving father or grandfather that says, I love you. 
The ladies are better at it. It's more intuitive. But I'm just going to say there's something distinct when a man says, I love. In fact, if we can't say we love, that's not strength. That's weakness. And we're going to grow in our love for Christ. We tell people we love Jesus. We verbalize it. We act upon it and we speak it. And Peter spoke it there. And so if our love and pursuit of Jesus increases, it's just going to come out. And lastly, we see that Peter demonstrated his love and pursuit by living his life for Christ. This was a defining moment. People say love is an action. It's a good way to put it. Love drives action. And when you go back and you look at these verses, you look at verses 15 through 19. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus told him, feed my lambs, imperative verb, do something with it. He said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep, imperative verb. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You love me? Do something with it. Live for me. Live for the things that are on my heart. If you and I love Jesus, we'll automatically, by default, live for the things on our God's heart. We look at the church today, and we're like, oh, the church is falling apart this, the church is falling apart that. You know what the, the root issue is? We don't love Jesus enough. That's what's at the root. And if we love Jesus enough, churches will be generous, churches will be serving, we're not going to be asking for people to help. We can just continue to make a difference because there's a love for Jesus driving us. And then he looks at Peter and says, follow me. You love me? Follow me. You know what I love about this moment? Peter is classic. I, I love this because I'm going, there, there's me. There's you. Big, intense conversation. And Jesus narrows his focus, laser beams on to Peter and says, follow me. You know what Peter does? He looks over at John. What about him? <laughs> what about that guy? Do you see what Jesus basically told him? It's not your business what I do with that guy. It's not your business what I do with John. You follow me. Hey, there's some of you here. You're this close to coming to Jesus. You're this close to surrendering your life to Jesus. You're this close to really getting to the next gear, just living for Christ. And you know what your card is? Well, what about these people? What about the hypocrites? What about the people in the villages out there that they've never heard about Jesus? And we play these little cards like God's going to be like, ooh, that's a good one, you know? Once you've heard the gospel, once you heard that you're lost, you're dying, you're going to hell, you're lost in your sin, the only way out is by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, resurrection from the grave. Once you've, been, once you've heard that, you've been delivered, you've been served, the gospel, Jesus says, follow me. And you go, well, what about, you? ah, you now are responsible for what you've heard. You follow me. You, it's not your business what I do with the hypocrites. It's not your business what I, my plan is for the people that you think maybe haven't heard of me. You follow me. And Jesus followed him. And you look at the Jesus, uh, the Peter that had this moment after Jesus. And he preached a sermon in Jerusalem. 3,000 people got saved. Then he continued to preach. And he had acts of faith and healing. And he reached out to the lost and all these other things. He had leadership and faithfulness in the early church. He endured arrest and beatings and threats. And he died as a martyr crucified for the love of his Savior. Would you say that Peter loved and pursued Jesus after this moment? With all his heart. I want to be more like Peter. 
I want to have that kind of love and pursuit in my life. How about you? How about you? Put it all on this one right here. This is that life message I want you to rally around. I love and pursue Jesus because he loves and pursues me. You got a hundred different things you can take away from today that's put into action. Spend more time with God. Respond to him quicker. Verbalize it. Live for Christ. But it's all going to start with a prayer for us. And this is the prayer I'm going to ask you guys to pray. Jesus, help me love you and pursue you more in my life. Jesus, help me love you and pursue you more in my life. Would you guys pray that with me this week? Jesus, help me love you and pursue you more in my life. Let's pray. God, thank you for your unrelenting, perfect love. Thank you, Lord, that you came after us and that you initiated contact and that you reached out and you provide for our needs. And Lord, you invited us into fellowship. And Lord, you've restored us through the gospel, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. God, I pray for all my brothers and sisters in Christ here right now, those watching online and in this room, God, would you help us to love you more, to spend more time with you, to be more bold about our love with you, Lord God. Transform us. Keep growing us, Lord. We're not satisfied. We hunger. We yearn. We long. We want more of you. God, help us to love you and pursue you more. And God, I pray for any person in this room that they've heard about the death of Jesus on the cross for their sins. They've heard about the resurrection of you, Jesus, from the grave to conquer death and sin. And they've been holding out. Today, you've given them the courage, you've given them the faith, you've initiated the contact, that they can say, today I'm going to follow Jesus. Today I'm getting out of my boat. Today I'm coming to the shore. Today I'm going to sit down. I'm going to fellowship with Jesus. And I'm going to turn my life over to Jesus. And if that's you today, just tell the Lord that. Just tell the Lord that and then share it with us but through a response card. But God, take us, use us, grow us. We ask in Jesus' name, we all said.